Hello! Thanks for downloading this podcast. Just a quick note to say that we've changed the name from Fight Back to the next round. We think the new title gives a more future-facing angle to our conversations with marketing and business leaders as they chat to us about the next round for their businesses. Enjoy this episode and make sure to subscribe. We're planning Series 3 now and it should be with you later this year. This is Fight Back, the innovation podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fight Back. I'm your host, Robin Charney. I've been in digital marketing and innovation for over 20 years, having worked at tech brands like Adobe. I now work at AAR, where we help brands to design, build, and drive high-performing marketing ecosystems. I started Fight Back because I wanted to tell a story that wasn't being told. I found that the story of business innovation in the UK was only being told through the lens of startups. Startups are sexy and the engines of growth, and heritage brands are portrayed as yesterday's news. I didn't see anyone telling the fight back story from their point of view. I think of it as a modern day David versus Goliath story, except I'm more interested in the Goliaths, how they're transforming, rebuilding, and growing. In each episode, I chat with someone leading the fight back from a brand we've all heard of. It can be a fight back in marketing, innovation, or business transformation. I try to make it as bullshit free and personal as possible, with something for you to take away and apply to your own business. This stuff is hard, so I want to share the good news where I can. In this episode, I'm really excited to talk to a marketeer who specializes in working in change environments. He helped launch Virgin Media, the Amex Blue Card, and the UK's first mobile payment solution. He describes himself as a creative strategist, which I think is really interesting and something we'll dig into a little later. He's developed his marketing skills by working in consultancies, agencies, and now client side. He joined Barclay Card to build the strategic marketing capability where he helped to drive phenomenal growth and he's now MD of Communications at Barclays. Welcome, Alex Naylor. Hey, Alex, welcome to Fight Back. Hello, thank you very much for having me. I'm going to jump right in because I've got lots of questions for you. I'm sure. Barclays is pretty much the definition of a Goliath brand. Yeah. I mean, everyone's heard of you. It's certainly a brand without its challenges over the years. But I really want to hear what fight are you in from a business and also a marketing point of view, because you lead the marketing team. Who or what are you most worried about and why? The what fight you in reminds me of the what business you're in question. It's sort of deceptively simple and yet at the same time, uh, very, very difficult to answer. And and the way in which you answer frames sort of everything that follows from a strategy perspective. Um, the one the one thing I would definitely say is we are in a fight. I think the uh, the big banks in the UK are under sort of existential threat, really, uh, because of regulation, because of competition, because of the digital revolution. There's a number of fights going on, and maybe we can unpack it a bit. What the, the obvious one is um, with the neo banks around mm. customer experience, uh, but I think there's more profound challenges going on and a fight around business model uh, and customer relationships. And underneath mm-hmm. all of that, I wonder if really the fight's about consumer trust. At the same time, uh, the economics of the industry are changing a lot, so. Um, the, the industry's relied on interest rates uh, and inter- interest earning uh, for for a lot of its, its business model, and we're now seeing long term low rates. We're seeing the risk of unemployment, uh, and we're seeing again regulation really looking at the way lenders have earned money historically. So all those things mean a big challenge to traditional retail banking, which obviously means one of the fights we have is with the other big banks, uh, and I, I, I think there's a 
you know, high likelihood that as things shake down, um, not everyone will survive. And so you're, you're in a sort of race with them. But the, the more glamorous, uh, sexy fight, undoubtedly, uh, is with the neobanks who we hear a lot about and who are very, very active uh, in advertising at the moment. Brands like Monzo, Atom have brought the ethos of digital branding into financial services. Uh, I think actually that the way in which they've raised customer expectation about what to expect from a financial services brand ultimately will be a really good thing. My uh, and and there is a there's a war really over CX. Everybody's running at improving their customer experience. My sense is this is not the real disruption, that this is quite a, a surface layer fight uh, and that many of these banks, as we're discovering, will struggle as they get into how to actually make money uh, and, and will walk into the sort of territory on which the traditional banks are much stronger. I think the the more interesting challenges and threats have come in two ways. One is organizations that attack niches, uh, and they really do disrupt business model and and take away income rapidly. I don't think that consumers in the future will want to go to multifarious different brands for every aspect of their financial life. And so I think the bigger challenge will come as people move and try and own the relationship with customer and serve aggregate needs. Uh, and that is where I think the real fight is going to be for the, for the relationship with customer. If I if I may, um, just a sort of analogy on that. You think about what's happened uh, with the music industry given digital disruption, uh, and people used to buy songs. People still buy songs. They used to buy them pack- packaged in albums. And the digital revolution came, blew things up, uh, and album sales collapsed. And the reason why everyone's been going to festivals and live gigs over the last 10, 20 years is actually the music industry's response to that, trying to find a way to make money. What brands like Spotify have done is effectively repackage those songs in a different way for people. And people are now paying subscription fees for playlists and suggested music. So value's being created in a different way, the same source product. My sense is that that is what will happen to financial services. And so my concern when you talk about what are you worried about is is who is going to crack that model about what a future platform-driven financial services offering looks like. Uh, and, and in that space, you worry about the big tech companies and you worry about uh, aggregator brands today and any, anyone that has a ability to own customer relationship. What do you think the role of because we always talk about heritage on the podcast, the heritage that Barclays has and the the longevity. I mean, you, you know, you date back to 1690. That's a lot of, <laughs> that's a lot of years. That's a lot of heritage. It's not something that anyone else in the industry, certainly from a, a neobank or any of the tech startups can, can kind of claim. Do you think your heritage and your longevity is an advantage or a disadvantage? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, and, and honestly, it does uh, weigh heavily on us in the organization. I think the sense of accountability and and stewardship that we have to the brand. Uh, there's no doubt that um, it can be a dangerous distraction, though. Yeah, heritage and uh, longevity is no guarantee of future success. Uh, and I think it's very easy for legacy brands to become uh, worse complacent or at best conservative. And we we all know the the Kodak stories. So I'm I'm very conscious that um, our heritage in and of itself is no shield from the future. At the same time, I do think. That the, the purpose that has driven Barclays uh, means that in the in the current day we have a huge amount of advantages as we as we go into this kind of new world, um, and 
you know, again, purpose. I think there's a lot of um, kind of post-rationalization or um, sort of superficial um, marketing um, purpose-driven strategies around at the moment. (laughs) You can use the BS word. It's okay, Alex. We're all friends here. You can say it. I know you want to. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of of that around. Um, I think with Barclays, it is different because the organization has existed for 300 years, really trying to create opportunities for people uh, and and with a real sense of its uh, role in helping people and businesses and society, therefore, move forwards. Um, and, And that, I think surfaces in a number of different ways that give us a big advantage at the moment. I think the the brand that wins in the future in the FS space would be the brand that people trust most with their money to look after their money and trust that has the best intentions about helping them make the most of their money. And for all the trials and travails that the banking industry has been through, money is a very precious commodity, obviously, to individuals. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the decision about will I hand it to X, Y or Z, um, I think our legacy and the way in which we've protected people over time um, does have a role to play in the future. As a marketeer, then, do you see your job as growing trust? Very much so. Um, I think I think it's a very good way of expressing underneath it all what we're trying to achieve. And we, we actually we can see in our brand tracking that come through very clearly and, and both aspects of it, actually, both the um, trust as in security, um, which is important to constantly reinforce. And it, it obviously works in different ways now. So if you think about data and the use of data, mm-hmm. uh, the ethics and protection that we put around customer data are becoming as important as uh, the way we protect their money. And again, a differentiator from um, some of the things one hears about potential competitors. But the other thing is this trust in intent. And that's obviously where we've got a lot of work to do uh, to make up for things that have happened in the past and demonstrate to people that we genuinely are standing by their side trying to help them. It's fascinating because there's a real question on whether the neobanks have helped you be better at that, whether that's a kind of area to dig into that because they've been so loud and proud on on those areas, whether it's now kind of the level of consumer expectation has risen so quickly that it's kind of table stakes now to talk about those things and and whether they even though they are more of an existential threat i think than an actual financial threat in a lot of ways that that kind of mere existence of them is is making heritage brands like you better because the bar is being raised would you agree yeah i do, I, I do agree um i absolutely think there's a transparency to the kind of relationships that the neobanks are trying to establish from which we can learn a lot. Ultimately, what they've very much done is take um, strategies and tactics from digital brands and the way digital brands in multifarious different sectors has been successful. Uh, But a lot of that is about giving the customer genuine control, uh, transparency over data, involving them in decisions, uh, creating a sense of community around the things that are going to happen in the future. And I, I think those tactics are uh, fantastic and very important, and there's a huge amount for us to learn. Absolutely, but that transparency is hard. And I wanted to ask, so you describe yourself as a creative strategist, <laughs> and <I'm, laughs> which I think is really interesting for, for a marketeer or someone you know leading a marketing team and a marketing transformation. What 
does that mean? Ultimately, I've had a, a, a many and varied uh, career and been accountable for lots of operational delivery and execution and leadership and all these things. At heart, though, what I really love is ideas and the power of ideas to galvanize people um, and take them with them and the power of ideas and thinking to drive and define action. And that's what I mean by strategy. It's not it's not complicated. And then creative strategist, I think creativity is about joining dots and making unusual connections. And that's what I love about marketing. I'm very left brain, right brain. I like the science and I like the art uh, and I like the unusual places you get to when you put those things together. Most of us have at some point worked in consultancies and templated McKinsey data-driven ways of getting to answers. I prefer, I think there's an opportunity for strategy that's a bit more lateral uh, mm. and spot slightly uh, different ways of getting to answers than that. So that's what I mean by creative strategies. But I'll take the feedback uh, that it's a bit wanky. And, no, it's uh, not at all. About, I think, I think, about I think it's, it's the creativity angle that I'm most interested in because I think that's the kind of byword of our industry that yeah. there are so many different approaches to it and so many different ways you can interpret it. But I really like your definition of about creativity is about connecting dots in unusual ways. And I think the more dot connectors and the more different kinds of dots we connect, the better we're going to be. If building up the creative capital of your team and your business is what's going to drive your growth into the future, because creativity is the engine of growth, then what kind of skills do you think senior marketeers need um, in order to help drive that forward? Because there's this you know huge debate in the industry around you know, all these tactical skills that we are, we are lacking, whether it be data strategy, whether it be uh, community management, whether it be, you know, business strategy. And, and I just don't hear senior marketeers talking enough about the need for creative skills and skills that build that creative capital of your business. And I just wondered if you had a view on that. Yeah, so so I definitely think um, the new skills, the skills relating to digital data, tech platforms, are important, uh, and particularly in a in a in an in- team like mine, in an industry like ours, where you've been around for a long time, uh, the transformation in capability is enabling new things and you need people that get that actually just conceptually get the art of the possible as well as an ability to execute at pace and iteratively. So th- those things are important. Yeah, I think where you're going is right, though. Um, and it, it slightly comes back to this point about incrementalism and, and short termism, that, that all that transformation needs to ladder up into something bigger. Uh, and I think that the real challenge there is about is it still remains about the role of brand in an organization and how it's correlating to business outcomes and the role of customer strategy um, to determine uh, and, and customer centricity in driving the kind of outcomes that businesses need today. So for those things, I think, and it, it comes back to senior marketeers, I think need a broad understanding, both of the plethora of marketing um, strategies that are available, but also the, the, the business they're in and how they're trying to, how they're trying to drive that. One of, one of my observations would be, um, you know, when you talk to people about why they're struggling to connect in business or why their investment is being challenged, is that typically they are in the board meetings talking about marketing outcomes. I'm trying to achieve brand consideration. I'm trying to achieve XYZ response rate or equity shift. And I think 
people without marketing backgrounds or and rightly to be fair because marketing is supposed to be about understanding your audience hear these things as noise and don't see the value of them i think marketeers need to start by understanding what a business is trying to achieve and then explain how they're helping the business achieve those metrics now that that sounds deceptively simple and obvious i see endlessly people stuck in these kind of quasi-religious debates trying to Mm -hmm. academically justify the importance of brand as opposed to saying in order for people to use your cards more they need to trust that you're not trying to get them into debt and in order to get them to believe that you're not trying to get them into a debt we need them to understand the brand in this kind of way and it you know you, you need to take people on these chains of logic to explain what you're doing rather than ask them to suddenly become marketing experts so it's, it's a long way of saying, I think uh, as much as the technical skills, business understanding, open-mindedness, growth mindset, you know, ability to uh, actually think business strategy first are what senior marketers need. I couldn't agree with you more. Does marketing own product and service then at Barclays no, or is no. that still separate? No, no. I mean, we're a highly mm. matrixed organization, so you're really going <laughs> to have to struggle to find anyone that owns everything. What we have, I guess it's some, someone talks to me about the execution paradox that in matrix mm-hmm. organizations, um, everybody looks for control and you look for control in an old fashioned way by wanting everything to report yes. into you. Yeah. But you yeah. can't do that in a matrix organization. So it's somewhat ironically, and it's back to the, the strategy thought, success comes from winning the battle of ideas. You've got to have mm. such clarity of thought that people will operate in the way that you want, even if you're if they're not in your direct control. And that's the sort of execution paradox. You've got to win the battle of ideas and you do have to have governance and mechanics uh, in place to make sure discipline is maintained. Uh, but you don't have to directly control and own every aspect of a uh, very big and complicated service organization to be successful. Of course, that makes perfect sense. I really like this idea of the battle of ideas. I think it's it's fascinating. And I guess to me, it relates to culture as well. And I wanted to dig in a little bit into that area because the battle of ideas, how, and it's interesting, the terminology, how does that relate to the culture at Barclays? You know, what kind of culture is there in terms of, is is it a battle to get ideas shared <laughs> or, or um, and how has that culture changed? Have you been there a while? I mean, you've been at Barclays Card, now you're at Barclays, but you've been there 10 years. So do you see the culture changing and how would you define the culture? So I would say one thing that's absolutely certain is the importance of culture as a determinant of business success is understood mm. by us as with many others uh, as never before. I was I was lucky enough to be sent over um, to Stanford to do some learning and development, uh, expecting to get a whole load of... Ooh. Uh, a whole load of spiel about the importance of coding and technology and mm-hmm. and almost uniformly what people spoke to us about was the importance of getting culture right uh, which was which was a real eye opener so yeah there is, there is a very very strong culture at barclays um and i i guess it's best characterized uh through the word stewardship so stewardship uh for us i think it goes back to the heritage thing means a very very clear sense that we are in temporary uh, leadership of an organization that has existed a long time before us and which it's our role to make sure exists a long time after us. And so uh, it really is about consideration for the decisions that we're making uh, in relation to customers, in relation to our commercials, 
to ensure that the business is sustainable and that it will endure and last. And that belief in stewardship and our role in the business as stewards, I think, profoundly affects the way we make decisions, the way we interact, um, so on and so forth. I really like this idea of stewardship. It's got a it's got a longevity to it and a kind of depth to it that not many brands. Yeah, and we get called complain. stewards, you know, and the the leadership meetings are stewards meetings. I think I think you're right. You know, it's one of these neurolinguistic things. Um, that gives people a real sense of the importance of what they do. I really like that. And has our current COVID reality changed that at all? I mean, not not the not the culture per se, but the speed, the agility. I know Alex is literally hanging his hand, <laughs> head in his hands as I ask this question. He's kind of going, he's shaking his head and going, "Oh God." having flashbacks like some kind of post-traumatic stress well, it, but... i mean it is it is it is like post-traumatic stress i it think is. there's far there's far too many sort of wartime analogies about covid uh which which i guess is a sign of our sort of soft decadent generation yes. uh, i think unless you're in the nhs it's not it's it's a bit relativist to compare however not that i've been through this either um, I would compare it to sort of childbirth and um and young <laughs> young families in in two ways one is that um it was excruciatingly painful particularly in the in the early days and yet now my sort of memory and sense is of what we achieved the art of the possible was redefined mm. and it's you know the power of colleagues working together to do the impossible uh is the sort of enduring memory and the other thing i think is uh, like having very young children, everything goes in phases. You think it's sort of unbearable. I'm never going to get any sleep again. And the next thing you know, uh, you know, they're off to school. The first few days, like, literally days, weeks were you, you couldn't have designed a perfect storm more perfectly because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in, in the course of hours, days, you know, again, we're a big scale service organization. In the course of hours and days, all that frontline service pretty much shut down. The Indian call centers got sent home. The branches were shut uh, at the same time as obviously consumers have massively heightened needs. They're suddenly mm. very, very worried about their finances, about their jobs. Uh, we were introducing these these payment holiday schemes. So you had massive desire to be in touch and, and all the traditional servicing touch points shutting down. So marketing very much became the front line, uh, the social media channels uh, in-app messaging, the website became our means of communication. And over the course of like literally minutes, hours, days, we needed to rebuild, redesign uh, most of those platforms or get different messaging out. And it, you know, it was really unbelievable the discretionary effort that was put in and the, and the, and the working to make that happen. When you step back from it all, if, if you'd ask someone on, you know, day, minus 0.5, you know, can I, we always believed in dynamic working, but if you'd said the entire workforce will be working from home for the next three months, I don't think anyone would have believed that was possible. Uh, And yet it happened. And the things that we did were truly remarkable, really. And I don't mean just us. I just, I think it was a, you know, collective belief in the power of what people can do. And do you think you'll manage to keep the good stuff or do you think you'll go back to, the old normal. Do you think this is a blip or do you think you'll manage to hang on to some of it? Yeah. I mean, that's the killer question, isn't it? There's there's an inevitable entropy and, um, you know, everything tractor beams back to the way things were. (laughs) My sense is that we will and have to change. And I think people 
desperately and openly want help with money, advice and mm-hmm. guidance on money. You know, we were still, you know, people were still making campaigns about it being a dirty word and awkward to talk about um, nine months ago. But now I think we've had such a public and dramatic economic impact that it's just out there that people um, want to talk about money are aware of financial health and, and well-being. And so that's one thing. And to bring it back to you, what's one thing you want to keep personally and what's one thing you want to keep for your team? Well, I, I definitely think for the team, um, the honesty about um, feelings and how we are reacting at work is important. So so that doesn't mean becoming navel-gazing or overly introspective, but I think it's just shed um, a whole load of facade uh, or stiff upper lip or pretense. Uh, the reality is we see each other, you know, in our living rooms or bedrooms and everyone's kids fly past in the background or your 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 whiskey bottle is sitting on top of the cabinet behind you. And I think people have, you know, just been much more able to express how they feel. And it's broken down a huge amount of barriers between teams and hierarchically and all this kind of stuff. So I, th- I think it's important to keep that. Um Myself, I guess, outside my my personal life, discovery of hula hooping and um, fitness and exercise, which I completely abandoned for for most of my adult life, which is a positive thing. I think b- back to the joining dots. What what it's absolutely catapulted for me is the 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 realization that to be successful, you've got to get all sorts of different bits of the organization to operate together, that you can't just exist in a marketing bubble or a brand bubble. And whilst one always knew that, I think a lot a lot of my, just being honest, a lot of my energy had been in stitching together elements of the marketing mix. Mm-hmm. I think we've created an environment where the team are brilliant and can do that now. And, and it, it's my role to stitch together marketing with the rest of the organization. And so um, that excites me, and um, that's where I will continue to put my energy. That's that's a great one. I like that because it feels like you know it's almost get your get your house in order and then look outside your house. I'm going to leave it there because I think we've talked about so many interesting things, and I'm going to just sign off by saying thank you very much for joining us on Fight Back, Alex. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's been fascinating. Oh, it's brilliant. Thank you so much uh, for letting me have the time to speak to you, and I, I hope it's been in some way interesting. Thanks to my guests this week, to the lovely team at Something Else for producing, and for AAR for all your support. See you soon.